In this episode of 2000 Books, how to design our day so that we give our very best when we're at work and at the same time not feel guilty about our time away from work and how to stop feeling like yet another day just went by without any real sense of progress and fulfillment. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books, where we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs. Books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, self-help, and much more. And I'm your host, Manny Vaya. Jocelyn Glaive was the founding editor and director of 99U and is a prolific author who has written and co-authored three books, Maximize Your Potential, Make Your Mark, and manage your day-to-day. Today we're talking about manage your day-to-day and the subtitle of the book is Build Your Routine, Find Your Focus, and Sharpen Your Creative Mind. Jocelyn, I'm really excited to have you on the show and talk about one of my favorite topics, productivity. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. And let's jump right into the book. Um, and before, or let me let me ask you this. What led you to writing the book? What was your business story that led you to writing this book? Um, well, let's see. How far back am I going to go? Um, I mean, essentially, I wrote this book when I was um, running um, a startup called 99U, which was essentially um, a conference and an editorial outlet and eventually uh, a book series of which Manage Your Day-to-Day is a part. And everything that we really did was all about kind of helping creatives and entrepreneurs um, figure out how to make ideas happen. The kind of guiding mindset behind the brand was this um, Thomas Edison quotation that genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. And our thinking kind of was, you know, there's so much, um, you know, content and conferences and things that are focused on idea generation, but actually idea generation really isn't that hard. We all have ideas. That's not really the problem. Um, What we struggle with is the execution of those ideas. And so that was the idea behind the brand. And um, so I was kind of constantly, um, you know, interviewing people who ran startups and um, different um, artists and freelancers about, you know, how they made our ideas happen and how they were able to accomplish what they had. And um, one of the things that kind of emerged was that, um, you know, so many of these people are, you know, kind of a a one man or a one woman show, um, you know, running a business entirely on their own. And um, they're really struggling with um, just juggling so many different tasks and also really um, confronting all of these different distractions that we kind of face living in the world today. And so Manager Day to Day was really about, um, you know, how do you work as a creative person, as an entrepreneurial person in this world that is sort of putting an unprecedented level of strain on your attention um, and still produce, you know, really great, meaningful work. Yeah. And the great thing about this book is this is is almost like a compendium of articles from a lot of great thinkers, right? Precisely. Yeah. The idea was, um, you know, we did the 99U conference every year, and uh, I think I started this book series, maybe I'd done a conference um, about four or five years at that time, and so we had built up um, this really impressive brain trust of speakers from the conference, you know, entrepreneurs and researchers and creatives, and so I really had um, sort of the access to kind of tap into this brain trust and, um, you know, sort of share the concept of the book and ask a lot of these really 
incredible people to contribute. So Manager Day-to-Day is actually a um, compendium of about um, 21 different essays and then a variety of uh, interviews that I did as well with, um, you know, some of these kind of leading thinkers. Yeah. Who are some of the names there? Um, you know, Dan Ariely, who, mm-hmm. um, you know, is a sort of leading uh, researcher on uh, behavioral economist on, you know, why we behave so rationally. Uh, you know, Seth Godin, Stephen Pressfield, the best-selling author Gretchen Rubin, yeah. uh, you know, Stefan Sagmeister, who's one of the top designers. Um, the list kind of goes on and on. Yeah, yeah. Some of the some of the names you said are some of my favorite authors. So absolutely yeah. love it. Um, so let's let's get into the book. And, and there's so many great ideas. But as I was like, I've read this book numerous times, and as I kind of stepped back from it, I, as I looked at the whole picture, I thought one thing that stood out was the idea that we need to move from this almost non-conscious compulsive behavior to conscious behavior because that's where it all starts we don't have routines we don't have these hard edges we don't do certain things because we're almost non-conscious about our behavior yeah i think that's completely um true and one of the the quotes that um gets used in one of the essays um in the book is this quote from um you know the media theorist um marshall McLuhan. And he says, um, we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. Mm. And I think that's really, you know, kind of what's happened. And, you know, we've experienced such, you know, advancements in technology in the past, you know, five, 10, 20 years. Um, and we have, you know, that's really changed the way that we work. Even if you think about something as simple as the shift from only being able to, you know, access your email on a desktop to being able to access your email on a mobile phone and how much that's kind of changed the way that we work. And so I think that, you know, we've kind of, as you say, unconsciously fallen into this pattern of kind of letting these, these tools, um, you know, whether it be email or social media or any of the other tools that we use on a daily basis. And we've kind of let them dictate how we behave um, mm-hmm. as opposed to kind of consciously taking control of how we would like to work. And, you know, the danger there is that all of these technologies are really sort of designed to, you know, maintain our attention for as long as possible. (laughs) So if we're not sort of proactively figuring out how we want to spend our attention, it's quite easy to get sucked into that. Yeah, I love what you said there, or I don't remember the name of the person who said it, but we shape our tools and then the tools shape us. Mm-hmm. And I've read, I've heard something similar. We shape our environment and our environment shapes us. So it's it's so powerful that the idea that we are, we're constantly, you know, we have to constantly be on the lookout for what we're shaping because it's constantly shaping us. Yeah, 100%. I think that that's kind of, um, you know, just the new, you know, this, this sort of pace of technological change isn't, isn't going to slow down, right? If anything, it's going to accelerate and potentially accelerate exponentially. So I think that a new part of, you know, what every business person, creative person, entrepreneurial person needs to figure out how to cultivate is a very, um, you know, deliberate, conscious Mm. working style where you're aware of, you know, what sort of your vulnerabilities are to, you know, kind of getting sucked into busy work or, you know, some of this less important work 
and, you know, figuring out ways to kind of block out time to work a bit more consciously. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, 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 that's really important. It's like, we have to get conscious of everything we do. Sometimes it's not technology, though I wouldn't blame technology for everything. Sometimes it's just us. We fall in the trap of doing busy work. We fall, we wake out, we wake up and we start doing the same thing that we've been doing over the years. We don't even question it. We don't even become aware of it. It's almost like we're sleepwalking through our lives. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that, um, you know, that's one of the big challenges. And even in, in manager day to day, we talk about the importance of, of building a daily routine. And I'm sure you and I will talk about that more today. Mm -hmm. But one of the funny things about building a routine is you also kind of have to know when to step out of it, right? Or when to kind of re-examine it. And so I think it's this kind of constant, um, you know, sort of push, push, pull, and, you know, use that kind of 99%, quotation from Thomas Edison before. And I think that's kind of an interesting, you know, way of thinking about it's like, okay, 99% of the time, you know, we do need to be thinking about, um, you know, working and executing, but you kind of have to make room for that 1% to, you know, sort of step away, to get inspiration, or to maybe even reconsider how you're working. Right. And uh, as you said, as you alluded to, we're going to talk about routines. So let's, let's do it. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we need to, consci- why we need to consciously design our routines. First of all, let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just kind of retouching on some of the stuff that we just talked about, if you know, we all have so much incoming information. It's, you know, you could just spend your entire day in your inbox. You know, I think it's extremely easy to say, let your email dictate, um, you know, your to-do list, your mood and your focus on a daily basis. Um, But, you know, what people are, what is incoming to your inbox and what people are asking you to do may bear, um, you know, little relationship to the actual tasks that you need to do that are particularly meaningful, the ones that will really move your business forward. Um, You know, and that and that kind of email example plays out, you know, the same over social media or say if you're using Slack or you're just dealing with, um, you know, working in a coworker's co-working space and people coming up to you and interrupting you, you know, you kind of have to, I think, um, anticipate that your day is going to be something where there are going to be constant opportunities for interruption and distraction. And then you kind of have to build a routine that almost is like a, you know, sort of a, a defense against that, that creates some sort of, um, you know, protected spaces where you can really focus and do the work that's going to move the needle forward. Mm-hmm. Well, well let, let me ask you this. Why do we need a routine? Because a routine establishes the fact that I'm going to start at 8, I'm going to end at 10, I'm going to do at a certain time every day, I'm going to have this frequency, I'm going to have this rhythm. Why don't I just like say, okay, let me just block off this chunk of time there or something like that? What's 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 the key about routines? I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, I'll give you, but I'll just give you kind of a handful of them. I think um, on the one hand, um, you know, they're setting expectations for the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you, um, you know, so I think you have to, uh, you know, if let's say every time I spend, you know, three hours a morning um, on email, you know, people are going to kind of expect me to be responding to their emails first thing in the morning. Um, if you have a routine where, you know, you never respond to email until after 11 a.m. or you have a routine where you always wait 24 hours to respond to an email, that starts to have an impact on people's perceptions about how they, um, 
deal with you, right? So um, that's just sort of an email example, but routine sort of sets those expectations both for yourself and for other people about um, kind of, uh, you know, when they, um, when you're willing to give them your attention and when you're willing to be interrupted. Um, but more so if you're just thinking about um, productivity in particular, um, you know, there are certain times of day uh, that are kind of aligned with your circadian rhythms in which you um, are going to be more productive than other times. So, for instance, most people um, are kind of at peak productivity between about 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. during the day. That's when you um, physically and mentally have the most energy to really focus on something, so to maybe really do those challenging tasks, whereas, you know, most people experience an energy dip after lunch, say between 2 and 4 p.m. So if you're, you know, leaving your most important work until the late afternoon, you're just not really going to be able to be as effective at it. Um, and I think one of the other things about routines you were saying is kind of putting, uh, you know, hard edges on the day so that you're not just kind of having this, you know, constant bleed where you're, you know, working 12 hours a day or you're working 14 hours a day, but kind of on and off again. You know, I think if you say, okay, I'm going to knock off at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., um, you know, on the one hand, obviously that allows you to have some real downtime and some time to refresh, but it also allows you to kind of be more um, productive within those limited time constraints because you know that, you know, the work is going to end at a certain point. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to get back to the idea of hard edges because I think it's so important and something that I have to learn again and again and again. <laughs> Uh, but 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 let's let's talk about a little more about the rituals about these routines. And one of the things that's so important is blocking off large chunks of time. We're not blocking off fifteen minutes here and there. We're blocking off large chunks of time. Why are we doing that? And how do we like? Is it as simple as just saying, okay, from now on, nine to eleven is my creative time, and that's it? Yeah, I mean, well, part of the you know the science behind that, which um. Tony Schwartz talks about um, in his essay in the book is that, um, you know, research that has kind of looked into, you know, the sort of highest performers um, has found really that kind of working in um, 60 to 90 minute blocks is about the sort of, um, or even, you know, maybe up to like 120 minutes is kind of the top end of how long you can really uh, sustain a productive focus. And then you need a break. Um, and what they found was with, you know, top athletes, top violinists and so forth was that people could do about, um, three, maybe four to max 90 minute, you know, kind of sprints with breaks in between and still be productive. Um, but that was, that was really kind of the top end of it. Um, so I think when we're thinking about how we block out time during our day, um, you know, I think either we tend to not black out time and just sort of, you know, try to work in this kind of constantly interrupted way, or, you know, we, we don't really put an edge on what that focus time is going to be. And then, you know, maybe we get caught up in something, we work for two and a half, three hours at a go, but you're really sort of starting to see uh, declining returns at a certain point. So I think kind of bearing that science in mind, um, you want to kind of, um, create sort of focus blocks and you need to put them, I mean, I think you literally need to put them on your calendar, um, you know, and kind of treat them um, in the same way that you would treat a meeting, you know, with a hard start and a hard finish. 
um, and also is something that you won't miss, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, you know, same thing. If you're working with other people, when they look at your calendar, they see those times. You know, it's not enough for you to just know that's your focus time. You know, someone else looking at your calendar needs to know that that's happening as well. Yeah, so there, there are certain prerequisites that have to be in place for this to really work for you. One of which is putting it on your calendar so that it's there. And the other thing I, I think it's really important is to cut off everything else in the sense you shut out every other distraction. If it means you shut down your Wi-Fi, or if it means shut down all your social media, or if you shut down your phone, whatever it is, we need to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge one. Um, You know, one of the other interesting pieces of research that we touch on in the book is that um, if you have, um, there have been studies that show if you have, you know, your email open in the background or your social media open in the background, even if you have that window minimized, your brain kind of still knows that it's there and is devoting a certain amount of energy to sort of monitoring what's going on there or putting a certain amount of energy into, you know, kind of wondering what might be in your inbox, for instance. Mm -hmm. So it actually is, and, and, you know, that brain power is sort of being drained away from your ability to focus on whatever task is, you know, you're actually trying to focus on. So it, it is really crucial that you actually kind of, of completely, um, you know, close out of all of those apps. Um, and, you know, in the, at the same time, um, you know, that you do whatever you need to do within your workspace if you're working with other people to kind of, uh, you know, 100% signal that you're in your kind of own space, you know. So that could mean kind of locking yourself in a conference room or, you know, just stepping out and working at a coffee shop, um, kind of whatever you need to do to make sure that you won't be interrupted. Yeah, and I have seen for myself one of my best places to work is a little room in one of our business. It's a business club, and uh, it's a room that's closed. You know, it's probably like seven feet by seven feet, mm-hmm. and it's got a whiteboard in there mm-hmm. and, and a desk and a table, and that's it. And it's so awesome being there. I feel so free. I mean, it- yeah, right. It's funny. <laughs> it's almost like a little cocoon, and I think it's there's been interesting research. Um, you, you know, the kind of when you're, when you want to really just focus and execute that sort of small confined spaces are really good. You know, whereas when you want to kind of think big and generate ideas, open airy spaces are really good. Um, there's a funny, I remember someone telling me that the, um, writer, Danielle Steele, who, you know, probably most of your listeners are not necessarily fans of her books, but she is extremely productive and she mm-hmm. actually, I think lives in some huge mansion, but she writes in her closet. <laughs> I am not surprised. I'm not surprised because, as I said, I do my best work in that little room. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Here at my home, I have this beautiful, gorgeous view of downtown all the way to Pacific Ocean, and I can see Mexico from here. But mm-hmm. I don't get my best work done here sometimes. I get my really like creative thinking going, but when yeah. I have to get down and get stuff done, I just go to that room because I know yeah. that's where I'll get head down and I'll just be able to work. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, so we, we just talked about large chunks of time and, you know, spending the best part of our days doing what's most important. Um, now, the other thing, now the other thing that we started off this discussion or we were, disc- we were just about to discuss was hard edges. And I, I personally struggle with it so much. I have this, I don't know where it came from, but I have this maniacal obsession with the idea that I should be working all the time. I should be working hard all the time. And to the point where um, any time off feels like 
guilty. It feels like guilty time off. It does not feel great to be off from work. So what what's going on there? Because I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs, especially ambitious ones like us, we fall into the trap that we have to be on 24-7, 360, 365 and 60 minutes every hour. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think there's an interesting um, sort of response to that in the book, which is, um, you know, Tony Schwartz talks about um, how we're not meant to work like computers. We kind of think of ourselves that way sometimes, but, you know, we're not meant to sort of be turned on and operate continuously without a break, you know, forever. Or, I mean, if you think about what happens to a computer, right, it's not forever. It's like you turn it on, it operates continuously for seven years, and then it dies, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then you, and then you get a new one, right? But you don't get a new you. And I mean, but literally, like, that's kind of the same thing that sort of happens to you as a, as a human, if you try to operate in that manner, you know, you're going to burn out. And a lot of the research that, you know, Tony Schwartz has done, and that other people have done is really about um, you know, how we're humans, we're animals, and we need rest and renewal. And if we really want to be performing in a, in a peak way, that has to be an essential part of how we structure our days and how we structure our lives, you know. And so I think it's really, again, as you were saying, sort of shifting to that more conscious mindset where you recognize that if, you know, yes, you could work 20 12 hours a day, yes, you could work 14 hours a day, you could work more, but you're going to really see declining returns as you work more and more. And if you're just working, you know, eight hours a day where you really block out the time to do what you really need, and you're really kind of staying focused at each juncture on the task that you really want to capture and complete, you're going to see a much better return, um, you know, on that, on that mental effort than if you just tried to kind of go and go forever. Mm, yeah, that, now, by the way, you're referring to Tony Schwartz, I want to refer that book here, The Power of Full Engagement. It's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, but going back to this idea again, um, I think what's happened is I undervalue my downtime. And there's an article or there's a chapter in the book that's exactly about that. The fact that we should not undervalue our downtime, because if we do that, we're also undervaluing our productive time. Talk about that. Yeah, well, I think one of um, there's a a bunch of sort of um, moments in the book when we talk about downtime and, um, you know, we talk about disconnecting. Um, one of the moments that I was actually just thinking about um, is the interview um, in the book that I did with Tiffany Schleen, in which she talks about how she um, takes a technology Shabbat every week, mm. um, which is essentially um, every week on, you know, kind of based on right, sort of, uh, classic Jewish ritual of kind of unplugging um, every Saturday, but sort of updated for the modern era. And her and her husband, um, every Friday night, kind of turn off all their screens, their phones, their computers, their TVs, and leave them off until the following day after after sunset. And, you know, she kind of talks about even the original idea of the Shabbat from hundreds of years ago, which is that, you know, you really just need to have, um, you know, a moment at least once a week where you stop working and give your time, you know, your brain time to refresh and kind of give yourself some time to reset and kind of, you know, rebalance. Um, and, you know, I love, I love that idea of kind of taking this day to disconnect. And she says this really kind of changed her life 
profoundly. And, you know, she went as kind of that Friday night unplug approaches. She gets really excited about it. And then, you know, she feels super refreshed afterwards and was like really excited to kind of plunge back into the online world. Um, you know, and I think that, yeah, I mean, there's, there really is just this sort of prevalent, um, notion that we need to be working 24 seven, but you know, as any, um, you know, many probably entrepreneurs who listen to this program know at a certain point, you know, you just, you just get burnt out and it, you know, something that I experienced myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't remember who said it, but it was in the book that said that if we undervalue our downtime, we are undervaluing our work time because we believe there is infinite amount of it. So we don't have to take the downtime right now. We don't have to do... It's almost like um, knowing that there is too much time is a detriment. So we've got to live in those chunks. We've got to live in those hard edges. Well, yeah. And I think it, And I think also, right, when you put those hard edges on, when you decide you're only going to work a certain amount of hours, you're only going to be connected a certain amount of hours, um, you know, you feel much more beholden to be very productive during mm -hmm. those hours. You know, if you're sort of say, oh, I have infinite amount of time, then it actually becomes quite easy to, um, you know, procrastinate or to say, oh, you know, maybe you do this thing that's kind of like really busy work, but kind of easy and, you know, put off doing that more challenging, high impact work because, you know, you just sort of say, well, I'll do it later. But if you constrain how much time you're using in your day, you kind of have to be quite deliberate about what you're doing at any given moment. Yep. Yep. And so let's 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 talk about the other end of the hard edge as, you know, the work time and then the downtime. In between the work time, we have some little downtimes, but then at the end of the day, we have a bigger downtime. So having those rituals, having those, you know, regeneration rituals in some ways or uh, having those, um, you know, the time to take tune into yourself, the time to, uh, re, you know, uh, do um, little breaks, 10, 20 minute breaks that allow us to get back into our uh, into our uh, rhythm. What what are some of the rituals you've used in the past that allow you to um, uh, replenish your resources in some ways? Yeah, well, one of the ones that we um, talk about in the book, um, in an essay that um, Leo Babalta, who runs the blog Zen Habits, um, wrote, you know, is really about kind of making room for a solitude practice. Um, you know, and I think we live in this world where we're kind of always on, always connected, always communicating. Um, you know, solitude has really been lost and not only been lost, but it, it starts to become something that we're quite uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that, you know, you, you, even if you try, so he kind of talks about whether it's, you know, half an hour or an hour or just, you know, 10 minutes a day kind of trying to, um, you know, build just a simple practice of disconnecting, being by yourself, and, you know, literally just not trying to accomplish things. And what you, what you get out of that, right, because what happens, right, when you kind of sit still and you try to meditate, um, is that, you know, your mind wanders, right? And then you kind of have to bring it back into focus. Okay, you know, it wanders, mm -hmm. it comes back, it wanders, it comes back. And as you engage in that, practice, you kind of learn the skill of watching yourself want to switch tasks and then kind of training yourself to be able to switch back and to stay focused, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the key skill that we have to cultivate now in the modern era, right, is the ability to be able to say, I want to switch tasks, 
or this is this other piece of information that I could look at right now, you know, but I'm not going to, I'm going to stay focused on this thing that I really need to get done right now. Um, so, you know, taking that downtime kind of practicing solitude or practicing meditation actually helps you build those skills, build that focus that helps in your work. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like we're going back to where we started, which was the idea that we have to move from non-conscious behavior to conscious behavior. And yeah. meditation is part of the training we need to do to get that point. Yeah. Yeah. And and as we as we kind of, you know, put our kind of, as I'm trying to think, look back at all of this, I, I think one of the key ideas, again, on top of all of this was the idea that we need to become a professional about it. We need to approach our lives like a professional. And like a professional athlete, we need to become a pro. Yeah, when I think, you know, one of the things that, right, one of the things that professional athletes understand best is that need for rest and renewal. You know what I mean? Professional athletes aren't like working out 12 hours a day. They, you know, that would be absurd. They would never try to do that. You know, they understand that the body mm -hmm. is a powerful but also fragile thing. And even I think when we're doing, you know, sort of knowledge work, you know, and we're sitting at a computer and we're entirely in our heads all the time, it's extremely easy to just sort of, you almost go into this kind of, um, mind meld with your computer, you know, and you sort of just forget that you're like a physical being at all. Um, but, you know, even, even to, um, to use, you know, your brain power and to kind of um, execute at a maximum level, you just, you know, you have to take that downtime and take those breaks. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. We need to be professional when we're professionally working and we need to be professional when we're professionally taking a break. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, this is great. So, Jocelyn, uh, as with every interview we do, we need to, we, or we close with specific action items. We always, here at 2000 Bix, we always say there's no learning without action. So, please give us three specific action items, homework, exercises, whichever way you want to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, I would start with one that kind of, you know, circles back to a lot of what we touched on in this conversation, which is really, um, you know, I think that's sort of your calendar is kind of the new battlefield, um, you know, and so you need to be quite conscious about blocking out your time. So I would, um, you know, really challenge listeners to um, block out time on their calendar, both for sort of focus blocks for doing um, kind of their most challenging tasks, and at the same time, um, to block out um, windows that are specifically for checking email, because that kind of is our sort of number one distraction and, and sort of item that we self-interrupt with. Um, so I think being very deliberate about saying, you know, I'm going to put this uh, focus block on my calendar for the first 90 minutes of the day. and I'm not going to check my email until afterwards, you know, and then I'll give myself 45 minutes to deal with that. And then I'll take a break. Um, and so kind of deliberately blocking out on your calendar when you're going to be, um, you know, focused on that super powerful, meaningful work. And also, you know, committing to when you're going to do that work that um, is maybe stuff that you can do, like dealing with your email, where you're kind of free to multitask a little bit. And it's okay if you interrupt. Got it. So I think that's the first thing, blocking out that time. Um, the second is, again, kind of touching on one of those things that um, we talked about, which is really um, finding a way to engage in a deliberate practice of disconnecting. Um, you know, so it could be... It, and, you know, it can be any amount of time. It could be just, uh, you know, simple solitude or meditation practice 10 minutes a day where you're just sitting in a chair and kind of, you know, 
practicing being present with yourself, or it could be taking a you know technology Shabbat where you decide to kind of go whole hog and say, you know what, I'm just going to disconnect one day a week and see what happens. So kind of being very deliberate about scheduling a practice of disconnecting. Um, and the last thing is figuring out um, a certain period of time. Again, this could be daily or it could be once a week where you actually give yourself freedom to sort of have some unstructured time. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about in the book that we didn't really get a touch on is how powerful it is. And I think um, one of the examples is of Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, um, you know, kind of having unstructured time, especially when you're a CEO or you're leading a company, tends to be back-to-back meetings all the time. Um, but when you're kind of so busy like that, it tends to really narrow your focus. Mm. Um, and so you don't have time for that big picture thinking, that kind of unstructured thinking that's really crucial to, you know, kind of thinking about the future of your company. So, you know, just trying to figure out time for even just maybe two hours of, of time a week where you literally don't have to do anything in particular. You just get to kind of think about things and explore and discover. I think that's really important. So do you start with a goal in mind or you just like let it, like what's the... No, that's the point. No, no goal. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you can do whatever you want. You know what I mean? It's like you could be maybe, you know, you're just kind of surfing around online and exploring, you know, maybe you're, so maybe, you know, that you end up reading interviews with, you know, some other CEOs, you get an idea. Maybe you're just walking around your neighborhood. You know, the point is that you don't actually have an objective. And I'm sure you know this from personal experience, as do I, you know, so often most of the great ideas come when you're not deliberately looking for them, right? When you kind of mix it up, you change Mm. up the pace, you know, you're on a website you never look at, you're running in the park, you're washing your hair in the shower, you know? Mm. It's those moments where you're kind of unplugged and you're in an unstructured space. So it's really actually important to kind of understand that having some time that's not booked, having some time that's unstructured and allowing yourself just to be sort of free with what you're doing is going to spark a lot of new inspiration. Mm. Yeah, I think I... Uh, Daniel Leverton, the author of uh, The Organized Mind, he talks about it. He says, task negative mode. Task positive is when... <laughs> I like you, it. Yeah. So I, I, I can see the correlation now. Great. So, Jocelyn, this has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed it. Um, productivity is one of my favorite topics. Um, but tell our listeners what all you've been up to. I know you have a bunch of other books, and there's something new coming up. And where can they find you? Where can they get hold of you? Yeah, well, so... I do have a new um, book that's coming out this fall. Um, it's called Unsubscribe, amusingly enough. Um, you know, I think a lot of what you and I just talked about is really the challenges of distraction at work. And while manager day-to-day goes kind of broad on distraction, um, Unsubscribe goes a little bit narrow. I mean, really, our number one kind of enemy at work for distraction is still email. You know, people Mm -hmm. check their email 11 times an hour. They process 122 messages a day. They spend about 28% of their total work week on email. Um, And so unsubscribe is really about, um, you know, how to kind of break free from the sort of email addiction that we have um, by understanding some of the psychology behind it and how we can create habits that will minimize distractions so that we can really spend more energy on the work that matters. And so that's what I have coming out in the fall. Um, I'm also just uh, sort of regularly um, blogging about productivity and creativity um, on my website, which is jkglei.com. And uh, there's more information about unsubscribe there as well. 
Got it. Well, thank you very much, Justin. This has been a lot of fun. I'm sure our listeners got to learn a whole lot. Thanks for having me. So you just heard a great interview on productivity. But the question is, will you remember these ideas and will you take action on these ideas? I recently heard Tony Robbins say, if your learning only leads to knowledge, you stay poor. But if your learning leads to action, you become wealthy. And I want you to take action on these ideas that you just learned. So go ahead and download a free clickable mind map of this book and take action on this interview, on the ideas from this interview right away. I mean, if you are a visual learner like me, you will find these mind maps incredibly helpful because they're simple visual representations of the book and they are really easy to take action on and you can click on them and zoom in and zoom out and have really a lot of fun with them. So you can text the word summary to 44222 or go to 2000books.com summary and get access to this free clickable mind map and play with it. Until next time, my friends, go out and live a courageous life. 